If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. Uh, let's see, I think we're just going to start in Genesis chapter 5 and then be in Psalms 90 today. We are in our Luke 3 and Me series where we're trying to figure out how we're connected uh, genealogically to the people that are in the book of Genesis and throughout the Old Testament. Uh, it is the story of mankind. The reason that that's important is that you are part of mankind, humankind, uh, if you want to call it that. But uh, it, is, it, it is important if we want to know where we're going to end up, how we are to live, to know where we came from. And we've talked about the different things that are used to confuse us about this particular issue the world will use any kind of thing. Uh, they'll say it doesn't matter if it's scientific, it makes sense to them, so you have to buy into that. We're, we're to that point now. I think it's funny that when I was uh, growing up in college, it was all about proof, you know, scientific proof. And now that scientific proof is not actually proving what they want it to prove, it is, uh, it is based upon what they believe, what they feel, what their truth is. And then if it is their truth, something they believe, they want to push you into it even though there's no evidence for it. Uh, there may be some evidence that they create that fits their narrative, but it doesn't really prove what it is that they say they believe. So we're kind of in that time, and it's important for us as believers, as Christians, to know our base, to get our bearings, to know where we began, where we all started, and this study of Luke 3 and me takes us into this genealogical connection with Adam and Eve and the others. Uh, we've talked about Adam and Eve. We've talked about Seth. We've talked about Cain, uh, uh, Cain and Enoch. Uh, we, uh, or Seth and Cain. We talked about Enoch and Lamech, his uh, uh, evil counterpart. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, how we are connected through Methuselah. Everybody say Methuselah. Just love to say Methuselah for some reason. Um, and we're calling him the first millennial, and I'll explain why we are going to call him our first millennial. We are all connected through Methuselah, Methuselah and uh, the importance of that is that he is the oldest uh, person who ever lived in recorded history as far as the Bible is concerned. Now, there are some kings of, uh, of old who... Uh, said that they lived to be 28,000 years old, uh, but uh, their proof of that as far as history is uh, kind of shadowy. So uh, we take Methuselah to be the oldest. And even modern day, we have come to the point where we think of Methuselah as being old or being the oldest because now we call, uh, have you ever heard of the Methuselah gene? The Methuselah gene, anybody? Not J-E-A-N, it's not genes that last forever, but it is the Methuselah G-E-N-E, which is a gene, a gene in us or part of our genetics that uh, makes us live older or that we're apt to be older. Did you see the lady? She died at 120-something this week, uh, and she was the oldest, I think the oldest living person right now, and she passed away, and she was kind of hilarious, some of the things that they asked about her life. But she obviously had this gene in her, and so they study people who live longer to find out why they're able to live longer, and especially if they're healthier. They love to see what's going on. They call that the Methuselah gene. The gene 
named after the oldest person in recorded history, is regarded as the secret uh, to the fountain of youth in a real sense. Seventy percent of us, according to Pew Research, we want to live longer and healthier lives. Uh, And scientific studies, DNA research, and billions of dollars have been invested. And all it's really provided for us is basic information about what makes us live longer. But researchers are always hopeful. They're always more excited. They're always asking for more money from the government or for grants because they're on the verge of another exciting uh, discovery. And one of those is uh, about how we can live longer. Alex Moskalev, Ph.D., head of the Aging and Lifespan Genetics Lab at Mas- in Moscow, uh, at the Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology, believes that our lifespan is determined by our body's ability to metabolize. Now, about half of us, we just shrunk, right? Metabolize. We're in trouble. He said the, Meth- the Methuselah gene, he said of the Methuselah gene, we discovered that the gene mutation triggers a global alteration of metabolism. Clear it up for everybody? Yeah, that makes sense. He goes on to say that it affects carbohydrate metabolism, lipid metabolism, nucleotide metabolism, as well as immune responses, uh, immune response genes, activity, and protein synthesis. So this gene that uh, is mutates in us uh, and helps us metabolize carbohydrates more healthily, more lipids, nucleotides, uh, helps us deal with the, uh, our immune response. Those all contribute to uh, long life. Now, the crazy thing about our bodies is that there are parts of us, you may not think have thought of it this way, the parts of us that refresh daily. Did you know that? Your skin, you ladies, you clean your skin. You, what are you doing when you exfoliate? You're getting rid of all the old skin. Why? Because there's new skin underneath there, right? How does your body do that? You've got a, your, your face and skin. It will, if you cut yourself, most often if, you're, if your immune system is okay, you're going to heal up. You'll have skin that grows back there unless it's a, a big gash that you should have gotten uh, um, uh, stitches for like I have on my elbow from when mm-hmm. I was a kid. So our bodies are, are pretty amazing. But there are also parts of our body that... Once they are dead, once they're injured, they don't recover. Like if you have heart attack, you have heart, uh, you have an attack on the heart, and there are parts of the muscular system that are are damaged. Well, they can't recover, not yet anyway. And the same is true of brain. When you have a brain injury, it can't it can't repair itself. It can't create something new like our skin uh, is. So it's amazing how God has made parts of us um, to last, to be renewed, and parts of us that we're just we're stuck with that, that model, that, that part for the rest of our lives. God says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We all try to figure out how is it that we can live to be a little bit longer. And today, the question that I have before you is, well, why would you want to? Methuselah, he lived to be 969 years old. Now, there are some who would argue 
that this number was figurative. You know, biblical scholars, they like to argue about silly things. But some argue that this is a figurative number. Others would take you down the road of ancient numerology and suggest that the ancients lived only around 100 years. But if you, um, if you figure it as years as months and months as days and days, is, uh, it's too confusing. Or we could just take this literally because the very purpose of the exact language as related to us by Moses served the purpose of providing the historical record of his people who kept meticulous records. There's no indication in the way that Moses and then those who followed him and the way they kept records to suggest that it was somehow figurative. This is literal. The number of years that these people were on the, in the world is exact. The biblical account serves to provide the exact information that would be required to keep such records, just like we have today. There are three factors in, in, in the genealogy or in a Genesis. There's when the father was born, how old he was born, when, the chi- when his first child was born, and how many years the father lived. Now, you can use this method to account for the sixth day of creation to the exact year of the flood, which would have been 1,656 years. Now, the kids have been working on a chart back in the back. Uncle Andrew helped them with that a few weeks ago. And in that chart, it has Adam through Noah and how all their lives overlapped with one another. And I thought it was funny because Andrew was back there looking at the chart, looking at it saying, I've got, we've got to do something to this chart. We've got, to, we've got to fix some things. And so I appreciate That's why I gave him that job is because that's his mind. He's a mathematic mind. So we have 1,656 years. You might, Well, that doesn't sound very long. Methuselah lived 969. Maybe when I was a child, maybe when you were younger, maybe you've never thought it this way. But we might have thought that Adam living 900 years, you add that then to his son, Seth, who lived 900 plus years. Uh, then you add to him, you know, so you're thinking you got like 10,000 years right there in the first 10 generations. But that's, I mean, when you are, when your child was born, uh, you didn't stop living, hopefully. Uh, so that's not how we account for things. So the Bible's clear here of how we got to from Adam to Noah. Genesis chapter 5, verse 3 through 27. Now, this is a long thing, but I want to give you some context. We really haven't read this in full yet, so I want to take some time today to read it. I'm reading from the NIV, Genesis 5, starting at verse 3. When Adam lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. And when Enosh had lived, are you seeing the pattern here? So we have Enosh, and then we have uh, Kenan, and then we have Mahaliel, and we have um, Jared, and we get down here, and we're going, and we're going to Jared, and then we come to Enoch, where we talked about last week. So you find Enoch there. When Enoch had lived 65 years, 
he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God and then he died. You got, I'm just checking to see if y'all are listening. No, that's not right. You got to call Pastor Mike on things if he doesn't say it right. I just seeing anybody say Then he was no more because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years. And then he died. Now, for more in-depth consideration of the topic, if you want to really get into some of the nuance of the arguments here, I would encourage you to uh, check out answersingenesis.org and look up chapter 16 because it goes into the, the table of nations and things like that with, from Adam to Noah. Uh, and that would all be kind of an academic study. And if you're interested in those kinds of things, I'd encourage you to do that. And answers in, in Genesis. Uh, .org is a good resource uh, to help us from a biblical point of view uh, take a look at these things. Uh, I think it's very helpful because uh, the Creation Museum and this organization, AnswersInGenesis.org, is just hated by the scientific community because they stand for creation and they lay out everything very logically and very academically. But most of us, if we're to this point where we're acknowledging that Methuselah lived to be 969 years, I don't need to prove that to you. But what I would like for you to consider today is the thing that surrounds the whole idea of Methuselah living 969 years. And that is that at some point, Methuselah did die. Now, if we use logic and we thought, 969 years, that was the, the oldest person. Now we're living, uh, it would make sense then that as things got better and people got smarter, that they would start living more, what, longer, right? Isn't that the assumption we make? That things are, you know, we're getting smarter, we're getting more tests, more, we got more, more, more gadgets and things that help us understand how we can, and we're going to get, we're going to get older, but the problem is that now we got to start way, way back from 969. And why is that? Well, the Bible explains why. The big issue for us is the fear factor that surrounds the whole idea of death. One reason people identified for wanting to live longer, I mean, I want to live, I don't, you know, I want to live longer, is abbreviated F-O-M-O. Does anybody know what that means? It's probably behind my head, right? Fear of missing out. My dad, my dad's 84, and a couple years ago after he had that pneumonia, he was just ready to die, ready to go to heaven. But then my niece Audrey announced she was pregnant, and my niece Audrey, she's the golden child of the family. And my dad, he rallied. Because he wanted to be around when Liam was born. Is Liam, right? 
So dad added two years to his life just wanting to see a great-grandchild. Now maybe you have that power too, I don't know. But sometimes it is that, well, I don't want to miss out. You think about that. Some of us are, you know, we're getting toward closer to the end than we are to the beginning, right? So as you get a little closer, then you start thinking about things a little bit differently. But just think about just think about being in your 80s and, you know, your grandchild uh, comes to you and says, I'm going to have a baby. And, and are you going to say, well, you know, you waited a little too long because I'm, I'm out of here. No, you're going to say, how can I hang on? I, I don't want to miss out on meeting one of my great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren for that matter, if that was possible. I can think of at least five great-grandkids that have caused my dad to want to stick around for fear of missing out. As a matter of fact, every, almost every one of them, he's got to be around to see them. But the other factor in people wanting to live longer lives, even if it means they must deal with more debilitations, more pain, more aches, is FOD. Oh, it's just spelled out for you. Fear of death. Are you afraid of death? I mean, if we're not afraid of death, what's all the, what's all the fuss about trying to help us live longer then? If we're not afraid of death, I mean, if death is not that deep, dark mystery to us that we just can't figure out, well, then we got to stick around as long as we can because we don't want to face what death means. In the beginning, even though death had been the sentence proclaimed because of sin, the fact that Adam lived 930 years and Jared 962 years and then Methuselah 969 years served as examples that those before the flood lived long lives on this planet, indicating that God had created man to live forever. But then sin entered in. We sometimes forget that when God created the heavens and the earth and he created Adam and Eve and he gave them this place to live and he said be fruitful and multiply, he had a forever place for us and then we ruined it. Or we can blame Adam and Eve or we can blame Eve or we can just say, well, just like the Bible says, in like Adam, we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. After the flood... Death would take full effect as the wage of sin, so much so that by the time Moses was around, he lived to be about 120 years, but he had predicted something different about how long the rest of us would live. Psalms 90, verse 1 through 17. Lord, you, this is Moses, by the way. I know it's a psalm, but this is Moses, attributed to him. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. We're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. 
You set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for your joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Does it sound like Moses was kind of grumpy when he wrote that day? But really, doesn't that kind of capture the feeling that we have about death? I mean, I know lately there have been those who try to put a positive spin on death. But when they put a positive spin on death, what they really do is they just humanize death. And death is really not that. It's not a personification of the things that we have right now. It is the end. And it's not just the end, but it is the judgment that comes with that. Death had become the dread of the living and now, 3,400 years later, our average life expectancy, remember Noah said between 70 and 80 years? Do you know what the life expectancy is right now? 78.8 years old. So where are you right now when it comes to death? you afraid of it? Are you miserable because of it? Are you more like Methuselah? Or are you more like Moses? Are you more millennial or more mortal? Now you could say that Methuselah, Methuselah I knew I was going to do that. You could say that Methuselah was the very first millennial. Why? Well, because he almost lived a thousand years, silly. Methuselah lived 969 years, the oldest person who ever lived. But millennials today have witnessed more changes and transitions in their lifetime than Methuselah did in 969 years. Did you know that? Millennials, those who are, what is it, mid-30s down to like 20s, something like that. They've seen more changes in their lifetime than Methuselah did in 969 years. He lived a long, good life, Methuselah did, as he was taught by his father Enoch to call upon the name of the Lord and walk with God, as we've discussed the last two weeks. And then his son, Lamech, and grandson, Noah, also would walk in that light. We'll talk about Lamech next week and Noah the week after that. But millennials today have enjoyed the blessings of technological and medical advances unseen before in human history. 
they may be old hat to us now. I mean, you may be at the point now where you think, oh, they discovered a cure for cancer. Well, that's nice. Or maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, we weren't excited with some of the news that we hear. There seems to be hope that the Methuselah gene will finally be discovered putting off any fear of missing out or any fear of death. As a matter of fact, those millennials and those who are younger, they kind of have this anticipation that they get to live longer, they will get to live longer, that they will get to experience more, that they won't have to experience death so quite so quickly. And it would seem that they, the millennials and Gen Zs, would be so encouraged by all the promising discoveries that the thought of living a thousand years for the first time since Methuselah is a real possibility. As a matter of fact, in his book, Longevity, Why We Are Living Longer, Why We Are Living Longer Than Ever, and the Discoveries That May Allow Us to Live to 1000, Dr. David Goldhill speculates that young, a young person, some young person alive right now, will live to see the year 3000. You got a child, you know, teenager? Just think about it for a second. Can you imagine them living to the year 3000? It just turned 2020, right? And if, you, um, if, you're, old, if you're 20 or older, then you were around to see uh, Y2K and everything fell apart back then, so I don't know how we've survived. But here we are 20 years later, and where did the 20 years go? Does anybody know? Aren't you kind of like Moses? They just kind of fly, the years just fly by, and the older you get, they fly quicker. I mean, I could probably take a survey of those of us who, those who are older than me, and they'll say, time, I mean, we don't know where it goes. It seems like yesterday it was January the 1st. Now it's February the 2nd, 2 to 2020, right? But can you imagine a child living today, living to the year 3000? Would you want your child or grandchild to be able to live that long so that they could experience things and maybe break Methuselah's record of 969 years? The glaring problem, though, with the arrogance of mankind is with those who believe they can somehow conquer death. Because it's not just living longer, it's the idea of immortality that they seek. Because if they can conquer death, if scientists can make us immortal, <laughs> then there is no God. And if there is no God, then we are in our own hands to do whatever we want, however we want in our life. The problem we have is with those who somehow think they can conquer death is they've forgotten the lesson of Methuselah. Methuselah was the oldest man that ever lived, and since him, we've lived less and less. Now, we know his name because he was the oldest, and even though there have been periods where life expectancy has dropped into the 40s, back when there was the plague and all those kinds of things around different parts of the world, the prediction of Moses that we will live to about 80 has been spot on for the last 2,000, well, last 4,000 years. It might intrigue some to think that they will get to live longer 
and disease-free lives, but the sting of death remains on all of us until Jesus returns. Hebrews 9, 27-28 reminds us, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. It is our destiny, all of us, to die and face the judgment. It is our destiny to die or to be here. Like Enoch, we might get, you know, we may just, you know, be no more and we'll just go be with the Lord. Or Elijah, we'll get to ride that chariot of fire up into heaven. But when Jesus Christ returns, the Bible says that he will catch us up into the air. And, but most people that I know, they don't want that to happen in their lifetime either. Why? Because fear of missing out or it, that's the end of things. Nothing we do will change the destiny we all have, and that is that someday, in one of two ways, we will stand before God and we will be judged and be held accountable for what we did in the flesh. We are destined to die just like Methuselah or caught up to heaven like Enoch. It is the dash between the year we were born and the year we die that becomes significant. Now Moses, he offered some good advice to us there in Psalm 90. Maybe you didn't hear it, so I'm going to go back to pick some of that up. He reminds us that we finish our years with a moan. Because our secret sins are set in the light of his presence. In other words, we are, there's nothing hidden before God. Hebrews says that to us, there's nothing, we're all laid bear before him to whom we must give an account is that idea. And then he says that thousand years are nothing to God. In other, word, in other words, time is not a factor to God. The most important thing is your standing before him. Your salvation is the most important thing to him. How you live your life knowing that you will stand before him someday is the most important thing to him. So Moses encourages us to do three things. He encourages us, first of all, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, basically what that means is you make the most of every day you have discovering what God has for you to know. We should live each day as if it is our last and learn as much as we can from God we must live in that reference and just think about, again, we talked about fundamentals. Just think about fundamentally how the world has tried to get you to think about everything else but God. When you wake up in the morning, you don't even have a second of your own thoughts because if you wake up to music or to a, a radio station or the first thing you do is you turn on the television then your mind is being redirected and consumed by what everybody else wants you to think and feel. But God wants us to number our days. He wants us to gain a heart of wisdom. He wants us to think about him. He then says, 
satisfy us, Moses does, he says, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing joy, sing for your joy and be glad our day, all our days. Is that how we start our days? This is a day the Lord's made. I'll rejoice and I'll be glad in it. Are we satisfied when we wake up with that breath and that first thought, I'm alive today? Or is it, oh man, I'm alive today. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may be may sing for joy and be glad our day. See, Moses is talking about the switch in attitude. We see him talking about the, the dread that people have of death, and now he's talking about how we can actually face this life with the love that God has given to us and sing for joy and be glad all our days. God desires to bless us in this world. He created us to inhabit it, to subdue it, so we could find satisfaction in his unfailing and proving love for us and in the relationships we have with those that he's given to us. And yet again, here comes the world trying to make you think that your relationship with God and your relationship with the one that God has given you just ain't good enough. Finally, Moses says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. You know, uh, Ecclesiastics talks about the importance of work and how God can bless the work that we do. And Moses is just echoing that same kind of thought here where we know that we just ask God's favor to rest upon us and to establish the work of our hands so that we're being productive, we're being effective. And Scripture talks about how we can be effective and productive. Like Jabel Jubal and Tubal Cain demonstrated, even in the fallen line of Cain, we are created in the image of the Creator to create, we build, we make tools, we make music, we sing songs, and all of that is part of our life here, which God has established for us in his favor. That's why it makes no sense for us to corrupt that. We should never corrupt our song, never corrupt our work, never corrupt what we build. Because we're doing it like him for him. And we can see God's favor over us in just the simplest things of our lives, no matter what we do. Now listen, fact and evidence, we all going to die. But we all can live in love and joy if we remember our days are numbered. The years given to us are for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to ensure our salvation. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 12 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the, day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Salvation. 
thousand years like a day, day like a thousand. It's not the time, it's not the number of years, it's what you're doing with him. Are you living your lives in God's salvation? And if you're not, uh, his, not his return or our death is just giving us that opportunity to repent and be saved. And not just for you, but what about all the people that you know? God is giving you that day, tomorrow, the next day, not just to let you enjoy your salvation, to count your days, to live in his love and his joy and have find his favor in your work, but for you to encourage other people to find the salvation that he has for them. We all live a holy and godly lives as the end of all things is near. The principle of calling on the name of the Lord is the same idea that we have in the idea of holiness. Live a holy life is that same idea of I, I believe that God exists and I want to be like him. I'm set apart for him. And the pattern of walking with God that Enoch demonstrated for us is that pattern or the principle of godliness. Live holy and godly lives. Godliness means I'm living like God. I'm walking with him. I'm being like him. And that pattern principle is set for us by Enoch and Methuselah over 5,000 years ago. And it still guides us today if you are connected to them through Christ. In Christ, there's no fear of missing out because this world is not our end. I always remind Dad whenever he talks about that, well, Dad, when you go, when you die, you know we'll see in heaven. In Christ, there's no fear of death because it has been swallowed up in victory. All we have to do is call on the name of the Lord each day and walk like him as our Christian name indicates. I am Christ-like as a Christian. I don't have to be afraid of death no matter what form it takes. Even for some of the old martyrs that we read about, they were able to face death with a belief and a prayer knowing that God would translate them to a better place. And all we have to do is call on the name of the Lord, walk with him, live out our destiny. Now, I don't know if death's been on your mind lately. This beer virus that people have been talking about this past week, the coronavirus, you know what I'm talking about? It's caused by Corona beer, right? I've been telling you people for years. Okay, so, no, it's, it's not caused. I don't want to start a bad rumor. Um, but it makes it, it reminds us that we may discover the Methuselah gene and they get hit, get hit by a cold from someplace, someplace else. In November 2019, this headline appeared in the Washington Post health section. There's something terribly wrong. Americans are dying young at alarming rates. One of the things that has made our expectation of life been at risk is that young people are ending their lives. The article describes how many young Americans are killing themselves with suicide, overdoses, and alcohol-related diseases, liver diseases. That generation has the brightest prospects of health and happiness 
promised by science and medicine in the history of mankind, and our kids still aren't buying it. Why would they want to live longer in this doomed and forsaken world that they said they live in or they've been told they live in? When you take God from their story, like activist judges have mandated, so we can't talk about God in school or public, or Hollywood producers have done by eliminating anything, any biblical Judeo-Christian ethic, they've scrubbed it from every movie, every commercial, every TV show, every book that they might be responsible for. They've tried to scrub God and the idea of his presence in our life from all those things. Even parents have allowed their kids to become slaves to the idea that there is no God, that we are here by chance. They are overwhelmed by all the, the yelling and screaming about how the world is this way and that way, and they've forsaken what God has taught us. If we take God, if we scrub God from the lives of our children, then they have nothing but fear to live in. But we have much, something much different to give as believers, as children of Adam, as those who are in the genealogy of Christ. And we're reminded whenever we have such great life expectancy, it's also measured against the fear people still have, especially young people today. And it looks like we still have many to whom we can give the hope of eternal life. We can say to them, 969, man, that's nothing. Let me tell you how you can live forever. And I hope for us as believers, we'll take back this argument, especially in our own homes, so that our kids will believe they can live forever. Let's pray.